Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to an emergency edition of Cavs a Blog Podcast. I've got uh, Corey Huey here and uh, Tom Pestak, and I'm Nate Smith. And it's been a pretty shocking day to be a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. Heck, a fan of Cleveland sports in general. Feels like the whole region is abuzz with the news of David Blatt's very unexpected firing at the hands of David Griffin, who has taken personal responsibility for this decision. Um, Corey, thoughts, reactions? What? Where? Do you remember the moment of what you were doing uh, when you found yeah. out David Griffin yeah. was fired? Or David Blatt was well, fired? Well, it was just like six hours ago, so... Um, <laughs> I yes, it, so. Yeah, it feels like there, so much has happened since. Yeah, there's been times I wouldn't remember what happened six hours ago, but... Uh, I was actually on my lunch break from work, and I was bidding on tickets on flash seats, which I'm sure Dan Gilbert will be excited for, and uh, a Woj bomb popped up on my screen, and I was just kind of in shock. I was, like, just blindsided by it. So did you do what I did and, like, went on Twitter to make sure this wasn't the fake Woj? Like immediately, you've seen that yeah. Before, like, oh, it's uh-huh. a fake Woj. Somebody made a fake Wojo account. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, immediately. And then I saw Windhurst, and then I naturally went and checked a couple others after that. And uh, yeah, it, and it was real. And then I walked into work, and you know, did my job, and just eagerly, like, I was like, you know, uh, working with people's phones and different stuff and just trying to look at my phone and read Twitter while I was doing my job because it was just, you know, I wanted to hear more. I obviously didn't have time to get to the press conference until I drove home, which I, I, I watched while I drove home. And, uh, yeah, so that's where we're at. What about you, Tom? Like, were you just in shock? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where the more you let it set in, the less shocking it seems. But yeah, yeah for the it, first in some five ways, to yes, and for the first ways, five to for the first five right. to ten minutes, I was yeah, I was in shock. Like, well, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, it's like 
more so like that that press conference dude i just gotta say okay now let's split the press conference into two parts part one is the prepared statement part two is everything that happened after where he answered everyone's questions i don't really care about all that um he was a little bit contradictory some of the questions were leading questions there was some obvious my bs you know radar went off a lot during the q a but that prepared statement was one of the greatest interview speech in the sports world that I have ever heard. I mean, Griff came out firing. Well, I and, and I will I, say it, one it, thing it, about uh, David Griffin is he is unbelievably well-spoken. Well, yeah, and just – I just expected, you know, what, what – I mean, you can pretty much write – um how these things are going to go. You can write the script. I mean, when I read David Blatt's uh, statement, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much what I expected. You know, I mean, he has kind words for everyone. He hopes for the best. He wants to thank everyone for the opportunity. He thought everyone worked really hard and that's it. It's like, that's how it goes. And what we really want to know is, you know, what voodoo doll is David Blatt poking with holes, but you're never going to get that. (laughs) But I'm listening to David Griffin's prepared remarks and man, he was saying some things that were very strongly worded. Like when he called the players, when he made a point to say that he had willful players in that locker room, as if to say there's a personality problem here and I'm not necessarily blaming the coach for it, but the coach has to go because that's the only thing we can do in this case I was I was amazed the way Griffin was so unimpressed by the Cavs record and by what they were doing. And he even said, look, we have teams of guys. And I think he was referring to his analytics team and his and his scouts and all that that watch these things. And he said, we notice when things aren't going very well that may not show up in the box score. He even called the Cavs schedule easy, which I thought it has been a little bit easy. So that was a good point. Um, but I, I was glad to hear that because when I watched that Rockets game and everyone from the players to David Blatt to the national media to all of us on Castle Blog are just grinning and smiling and so happy that, oh, my gosh, look what we just did to this Western Conference team on their home court on the you know ninth game in eight nights and you know whatever, however we want to spin it to make it seem so great. And I'm thinking – the Rockets just suck, you know, what the, what the Cavs <laughs> did. And that's what that whole thing was between me and EG. And I just really felt like the Cavs didn't really win that game. They just had enough talent not to lose it. But they did so yeah. many stupid things. And I felt like Griff was speaking to my soul in that prepared remark. He was like, we're not really that good. So and, I got a question for you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. I thought the Cavs played really well against uh, the Clippers. Yeah. For – Three and a half quarters, and and granted, half of the third quarter was the hack op hackalypse, which worked out really well for the well, Cavs. Right, but I I mean you know it it saps the energy from both teams, and it just like uh, and so both teams end up kind of sleepwalking through that. Uh, and then the Cavs first half of the fourth quarter, they kind of played like garbage. They did. Let, they played like garbage. Yep. Let the um let them go on like a 12-2 run 
yep. uh, to get back in it. And it was like you had commented, it was like the Rockets game all over again. Yep. And I almost wonder if that run was the nail. You know what I mean? I wonder if that was like, okay, I can't watch this again. If I'm well, it's interesting. We, we, we can all speculate when the nail was. And that was one of the first questions that was asked. I stick by the most recent, you know, Warriors game. The what do we call it? The bloody Martin Luther King Day massacre game. <laughs> that, I didn't me, call it that. That to me, crazy. that was the nail. Now, Winhorst has been, you know, VIP, and every every podcast in the country has been calling him up today. I think he's like on a vacation in Hawaii, but um, he's been commenting, and he was on Bomani Jones. He's, he's saying, suddenly relevant again. He was on Bamani Jones saying that this was an interesting tidbit that I'd never heard before. He basically said from day one, David Blatt and the Cavs players were like oil and water. And he, he told the story. It was really interesting. I've never heard this story from him that the, like the second game of the season, the Cavs won. And so the players were doing sort of like, Give him the game ball, hug him, you know, cheer in. Kind of like, you know, you you won your first game. Or like when a major league player gets his first hit, you stop the game and you make a big deal of it, save the ball. And they were all happy and joyful. And I guess David Blatt was like really felt really disrespected by that. And he was actually angry. And he yelled at him and acted like, you know, I'm not a rookie coach kind of thing. Like I've won thousands of games, you know, or something like that. Which, like he didn't have the requisite humility. Kind of, yeah. And, I mean, we saw that last year, right? I mean, I would not say David Blatt. I, I like David Blatt a lot. But uh, I would not say that he tried to express humility last season. You know, like the whole fighter pilot comment. You know, I mean, that's like what he's really thinking when he says that. And I appreciated that of every coach I've ever seen, I, other than Popovich, I felt like David Blatt was the most real in media sessions. He didn't try to sugarcoat things. He kind of tried to tell him like he saw it. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say he came into this job thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to humble myself, you know, because I'm a rookie coach. And there was that whole thing about him taking exception to the fact that LeBron or whoever called him a rookie coach. So if you listen to Windhorst, the nail was in the coffin almost from day one, and it was only a matter of time before you know they had to go for the annulment or whatever um then he continued to say that you know winhurst said that after the christmas day warriors game the players actually revolted and that was what why we got what we got against the trailblazers now that's a strong charge and this is the first time i've actually heard that said that no the Cavs didn't just lay an egg because of whatever they purposely tried to suck in you know, just because they were revolting against David Blatt because they were really upset with the fact that he didn't play Mo Williams and Richard Jefferson on Christmas Day. So there's that. Um, I don't know. All that being said, um, you know, there's been all these things that have come out. And I guess that's been my thing about today is that initial shock hit me. And since then, Every little little nugget that comes out, I try to gauge. Like, I wonder how true this is. Like, Peter Vesey tweeted, some of Blatt's Israeli friends said that last week he was quoted as saying, either I go or Kevin Love goes. 
Like, I wonder if that's true, if that's total BS, you know, because that's kind of interesting. And that, that's kind of interesting because Windhorse tweeted tonight that the Cavs players were actually shocked to find out Blatt was fired. And when they were called in for a team meeting to be told Blatt was fired, many of them thought they were being called into a team meeting to find out that Kevin Love had been traded. Wow. I, I don't I don't know if I'd buy that one. I don't know if I'd buy the mere Kevin Love thing. One well, of the things that so bothered, then, wait. Okay, okay. You've talked enough, Tom. Let me get my rebuttal here. It's not Tom the blog. I'm messing with, <laughs> I'm messing with you. Anyway, uh, what I was going to say is I found it just baffling in a way that I thought LeBron played his most unselfish game against the Clippers of the season with the 12 assists, and I really was very impressed with Kevin Love's hustle on both ends of the floor uh, against the Clippers as well, and I really thought he kind of played one of his – he was 4 for 10, but I really thought he played one of his more complete games of the season, and to have that happen the day after – they play. I thought those two played a really complete game. Kind of baffled me. Um, yeah. Well, he was so. very aggressive in both games, and yeah. for once, the team was disciplined enough to to continually feed him the ball, and he was aggressive enough to continually try to seal his man and demand the ball. So even when people were making fun of him because he lost the ball on that like uncontested dunk, I was like, "What are you laughing about?" Like, I'm glad he's got fire in his eyes and he's trying to dunk on DeAndre Jordan, even though it was probably going to end badly no matter what happened. I mean, I want to see that getting to the free throw line all those times. I mean, that's huge. So yeah, that, like I said, the, the whole timing thing, if that's puzzling you just go back to my theory, it's, you know, it's 10 20 in the second quarter of the Warriors game. And the Warriors are already up 94 to six. And, the Cavs brass has just decided we're just not good enough to beat this team. We got to do something. And to me, that was the moment that Blatt's fate was sealed. And you posted a comment on our no, blog did, yeah. in the middle of this beatdown suffocation and just said, could this cost Blatt his job? And immediately a bunch of people jumped in to say, is this a serious question? You know, are you crazy? Oh, is this I name? didn't think I was crazy at the time. You don't No, I didn't either. That's why I jumped in and said, you're not crazy at all. This could totally cost him. You can't have a game against the best team in the league, the team that you are basically preparing your whole season to play, and your team doesn't show up. It's like, what? No, you that that can't happen. That can't happen in any circumstance. But it was, more, it was more than that. It was – I know you think this is all just an effort and hard thing, but if you read Joe um, Posnaski's, which that guy is incredible. If you read his piece, he was the only national writer that described how uniquely horrifying this game was if you were a Cavs fan because even in pretty much any beatdown, the team losing, if they're the home team, will at some point get a block or string out, you know, string together a few possessions in a row. Even no, if you're down 30. Happen. Yeah, if you're down 30 and you're the home team and someone sticks like back-to-back threes, the crowd will purposely get excited. If for no other reason to, oh my gosh, this is actually a license to cheer. 
right? We're not so they do that it. bad. Right. Yeah. There was no opportunity for that no. the whole yeah. game. So, yeah, I, I mean, that game was different. Like, you can't, you can't, there were people that didn't watch the game and were commenting on the blog, and I, their their perspective was very different than the people that were watching that game with eyes wide open. The score, you know, that that, that doesn't matter. It's not about the score. It's about what, and, it's about and, suffocation. And uh, David Griffin made a point to say, this isn't about the scores. It's not about our record. Um, now, the one thing I thought that was just total BS was uh, we don't deal with success well, um, which I think is a little disingenuous, although I kind of felt that way throughout the whole season. But it's like one of those things that you realize that there are games you have to coast through. You know, you're not going to have the most energy every night. Um, but I think part of the problem that Blatt is having is he is coaching a 60-win team in a season where there are two historically great teams in the other conference with how well they're playing, and it's just not good enough. And and as David Griffin said, we didn't have the second-highest payroll in NBA history to be the third-best team. Right. Um, No, I mean, clearly, I, I was shocked because I sort of thought, with all these guys locked up long term, they're not going to make any sort of short term maneuvers. They're going to try to just make it work, get everyone healthy, stay the course. They know they have enough talent to win the East just by showing up. They know they have the depth this year that you know one or two guys getting injured shouldn't be crippling to them. And so I just figured, but that, I'm just telling you that Warriors game changed everything because. That line of thinking that I had that was like, let's not worry about anything until February or March or even April. Who cares? Because it doesn't really matter. The day-to-day doesn't matter. The win-loss doesn't matter. I still believe that. I think Griffin still believes that. It's not about that they lost to the Warriors. It's about what actually happened on the court. Right. And how ridiculous it was and how demoralizing it was. And absolutely no no rational person could watch that game and say... Yeah, I think the Cavs have a shot this year. Well, the and the fact that the Warriors absolutely came to rip their heart out, and the Cavs had none of that competitive fire. So, yeah. And there's been I, a lot of, you know, speculation that the Cavs, quote unquote, tanked that game uh, to get Blatt fired. I, oh, I, I don't, I don't I know don't if I so. believe that, but no but, way. Okay, but no part way. of me wonders. I mean, at least not consciously did they do that. But part of me wonders, you know, all I've hear, heard all year is that LeBron is obsessed with the Warriors and obsessed with what they're doing. And for them to play that poorly that game was was really telling. So, No, I mean, it reminded me of, you know, whatever, whatever that point was in the Celtics series in 2010, you know, LeBron and LeBron apologists – can say whatever they want about how he didn't quit. But there was a point in that series where he stopped believing that they could win. And you could you could see it reflected in his play. So, um, Corey, um, did you read the Chris Haynes article on Cleveland.com? Of why I did not. Flat was fired? 
I did. Not yet. I just now read the Carlisle. He's the head of the oh, yeah. uh, Coaches yeah. Association. I just read his, and, you know, he was, he, you know, he basically thought that it was embarrassing, yeah. you know, for the association as a whole that Blatt was uh, fired. Um, as far as, like, kind of to continue on that point about, uh, about LeBron being obsessed with the Warriors, like, the, why doesn't he, like, why doesn't he try to do that in Cleveland and buy in? And, you know, when Black came in, the, the vision was that they were going to run an offense similar to the Spurs, that they were going to, you know, have ball movement, have, you know, all of that. Like, yeah, no, I agree. Like if he's obsessed so, with the Warriors, why doesn't he want that in Cleveland? And why doesn't he try to make it work rather than hijack the offense? Right. So some of the points of the Chris Haynes article, because I think it's really important. Um, well, that's a completely different angle, too. So the team, so some of his was basically the team had lost faith in him. Um, the record didn't illustrate the turmoil, blah, blah, blah. But here's some of the big ones. Um, during the first portion of the 2015, the previous season, film sessions were a topic of discussion among players. Blatt was reluctant to criticize star players, even though they clearly messed up a play. This became routine. It got so bad that I'm told Lou finally intervened, stood up, and demanded that somebody rewind the footage so that he could get on members of the big three. And then during scrimmages, players competed aggressively but bit their tongues as Blatt frequently blew his whistle to call tiki-tack or phantom fouls for his go-to players. One player said sometimes Blatt didn't even have a whistle and would yell at the top of his lungs to stop playing call a foul if one of his stars acted as if he was hit. Um, in a quote-unquote blatant attempt to get in the good graces of his top talent, and Blatt was in leadership was in question, players grew tired of this treatment, the locker room started resenting Blatt's handling or lack thereof when it came to dealing with the stars. And that uh, the other meme that Blatt had trouble drawing up plays out of the huddle, uh, Blatt would make curious substitutions like calling for Tristan Thompson to reenter in the closing games of closing minutes of the Atlanta series with the game already wrapped up when he was their only big man. Um, so those were, and then of course, Lou's connection is rock solid. He's known throughout the league that, to me, this reads like the typical, oh, I'm David Griffin. I'm going to give this local reporter everything I want him to publish <laughs> to cover my <laughs> butt. Um, but there are some parts of that. Like Blatt has at times made unbelievably curious decisions about playing mainline players late in games for no reason. Um but do I believe the star treatment stuff? I, I don't believe that. Do you believe that's that? That's the first that's the first time I've heard that. Um, yeah. And it kind of is a little bit contradictory to like the Windhorst angle was that you know, he's he's a little bit of a jerk and, and thinks he's like high and mighty with all his Euro League cups and he comes in here saying, You're not gonna call me a rookie coach, you're not gonna treat me like a rookie coach. You know, I've won a million games and yada, yada. I mean, so that guy with that personality that we saw is the same guy that, to quote Delonte West, is out there. I can't say pussyfooting on our podcast, can I? <laughs> Absolutely, you can. <laughs> you remember that, though, right? When 
Shaq told the story about uh, Delante getting all up in arms because Mike Brown wouldn't, in a film session, criticize LeBron for blowing an assignment. Yeah. Um, I believe that with Mike Brown. I believe I totally that with Delante West. Too. Oh, yeah. No, but I totally believe that with Mike Brown. That goes totally in line with his nicest guy you've ever met persona yeah. that, you know, could never so, draw a technical foul if he wanted to. And uh, I believe that. Yeah, it's hard to believe that the same could be said for David Blatt, that he would refuse to call out. I'm, I'm assuming the stars here are like LeBron and Kyrie and maybe Kevin Love. Um, yeah, I see that, but I also see the way he treated LeBron through a, a season and a half, and he never said a bad thing about him. And yeah, that's true. And LeBron got away when he pushed David Blatt like early last year, like that he got away with. I don't know if there's any other coach and any other player in pro sports that that might have flown. So maybe Kobe, but it wouldn't have flown with Bill Jackson. Maybe well, Kobe and Byron, Byron Scott, but all right. But let's think about so, this. So, well, hold on a second. So, here's the million dollar question to me: Does this mean we're going to see LeBron James buy in, or the team buy into LeBron James? Is LeBron yeah, is, James buying yeah. into the team, or is the team buying into LeBron James with with Ty Lue as head coach? I mean, that's the question. The team- the team already did buy into LeBron James. Like, I mean, he might not have been consulted on, you know, today, like, hey, can we fire Blatt? You know, but I don't think if LeBron wanted him to stay, he, you know, he'd be gone. No, okay, by the team, I mean the other players. Sorry. The, the other players, the okay. The product we um, see on the floor. Um, you see, I Corey, I get the sense that LeBron was okay with with him getting fired and with you know Lou replacing oh, me too. him, but yeah, I, I, I actually don't get the sense that um you know LeBron walked. I know everyone wants to believe this. Maybe I do believe it. I don't know, but I'm skeptical that LeBron walked into David Griffin's office and just said, "You better fire Blatt," or like, "I'm not resigning next year." I just I'm I feel like LeBron is so passive aggressive. Well, and that that's not his nature anyway. I mean, he would go through Rich Paul, Rich or Paul anyway. I mean, he he's passive aggressive, and LeBron kind of wants to have plausible deniability on everything. Yeah, he does. He does. You're right. So maybe maybe there was just a, he left enough breadcrumbs laying around <laughs> that you know Griff got the idea that you know what um <laughs> what's that app that Mark Cuban's always touting Cyberdust. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cyberdust. <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, so what about cyberdust? Well, I, I, you know, you got me all out of sorts because you keep bringing up all these topics I want to argue, and then you just move on because you don't want me to talk. Um, but with uh, <laughs> like that has ever stopped you before? Yeah, it hasn't stopped me before. But you know, you had a problem with um, David Griffin saying. You thought it was kind of a BS line about they don't handle uh, they don't handle success well, but I kind of agree with it because clearly the team has been able to exceed expectations when expectations were low, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when they got to the point where we just thought 
oh my gosh, this team is below 500. LeBron's not the same player anymore. I mean, when we re- when we finally recalibrated from, oh my gosh, clear path to the finals, when we recalibrated from that to this team sucks so bad they might not even make the playoffs, and then they made the trade for three guys that we thought, well, Mozgov, isn't he just a guy that got dunked on really hard one time? And, um, you know, J.R. Smith, isn't he way past his prime and just a loose cannon? And Iman Shumpert, you know, is he any good at all? So no one was really that convinced that those three maneuvers were going to be that great. So when expectations were essentially at an all-time low, the Cavs went crazy and went on a tear. Then Kevin Love's arm gets pulled out of his socket. Kyrie Irving's dealing with nagging injuries. Iman Shumpert's dealing with nagging injuries. Yeah, and the Cavs and the Cavs. No, and then they swept the Hawks. You know, it's like yeah, it's like no one saw that coming, and no one saw them taking two almost three games from the Warriors. So I agree with Griffin that every time everyone had completely lost faith in the Cavs, they surprised people. But at the same time, it's been it's been very obvious to me that as they've gotten healthier and healthier. They haven't gotten any better. They're not becoming, I mean, it's like, oh, now you've got a guy, Kyrie Irving, that will hit a three at the end of the game to win it for you. But other than that, he's not making the other players around him better. In fact, he's not even playing well until fourth quarters. Um, you know, Kevin Love is suddenly playing really poorly with Kyrie back. There's just a malaise over the team, and you can keep bringing up excuses. Oh, Kyrie's not really healthy. All these guys haven't played enough together. You can keep coming up with excuses, but when there actually are very valid excuses, the team seems to punch above its weight. And the more you seem to pull those away, they just they they don't excite. They don't excite you. They don't. Right. You can't you can't see them knocking off the elite teams. And that's the other thing. Right. Griffin kept talking about elite teams. He would have made Pro Football Talk commenter very happy talking about elite over and over again. And he made it very clear that the Cavs are not an elite team right now. So I guess it's another move from a from a position of weakness. We've seen this so many times over the last couple of years where the Cavs kind of flail. Well, but we got to fire Chris Grant midseason. Counter argument: They're thirty eleven, so it's a position of strength. You know. Well, I'm glad they're at least. I'm glad they at least decided that it's going to be Lou and he's not an interim. He's the guy. And now they're probably working on a contract or whatever. So does anybody know, like I heard both sides that he did get a new contract. And then I heard that it's just his existing contract. And they just, I mean, Griff said, Griff said that the reports of him getting a new contract were false, but yeah. And I can't being promoted. But if you're being promoted from associate to head coach, yeah, I mean, I, I assume he with may like, have a clause in his contract to do that too. That or a bump, you know. Or I mean, coaches might be class. Head coaches might be classified differently in the collective bargaining agreement or something. There is no collective bargaining agreement with coaches. There's no coaches union or anything no, like that. No. Didn't you just say Rick Carlisle was the head of the coaches association or something? Yeah, but it's not a union. Okay. It's a trade organization, Tom. It's what the players should have instead of a union. But that's a discussion for another time. Because I've always contended that the owners need the player to have a union more than the players need to have a union. Oh, man. Wadge has got his whole clutch sports is the reason for this. Just went up on uh, on Yeah. You know what? I wouldn't necessarily believe that, but Wadge is 
rarely wrong. Yes. He seems to be the most trusted. He's definitely the most trusted guy in sports that reports things immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I will yeah. say that. Um, but yeah, it was fun listening. They, they asked Charles Barkley that question, Nate, about what do you think about David Blatt saying that his team didn't, didn't handle prosperity. Griffin, yeah. He said, I don't even know what that means. He's like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, and, and in a way, you're looking at an old NBA versus a new NBA. You know, this new NBA is, oh, we buy in, rah, 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 we're all, everybody's all in. And the old NBA was you go to work, you do your business, you go home, you move on to the next game. You know, and then you've got, you know, the Spurs and the Warriors who are like, we're a team, we all do stuff together, we love each other, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Oh my lord, that's a lot of happy crappy BS that you don't have to have that stuff to win. I don't like everybody I work with. Tom, <laughs> Corey, do you like everybody you work with? No, but you get the job done. I mean, I if, any, if anyone from work is listening, I love you. No, all. actually, I do actually <laughs> like all the people I work with, but um, but I have a new job now too. So, <laughs> you know, no, I, would, I, I past, haven't grown to guy, hate them yet. In I worked the past, with the guy I have that... not liked everyone that I worked with. You know, I worked with a guy way. that I described as J.R. Smith and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to explain it. Like yeah, this guy comes, he comes with a lot of baggage and he, a lot of drama. Like but you're every in now the urinal next to him and he bends down and ties your shoelaces together. <laughs> no, that wasn't like that. It was just, he was mostly, I guess this is more J.R.'s reputation than how J.R. spent on the Cavs, right? His reputation was he's more trouble than he's worth, but every now and then, He'll win you a game. So there was a guy I worked with, and I described him. Someone was asking me, like, what do you make of this guy? And I was like, you know, he's kind of like J.R. Smith. Like, I keep thinking he's not worth it, but then every now and then, he just kind of, like, wins a game for us. And it's like, man, that dude, he can be valuable, like, every now and then. But I don't, I can't tell if it's worth worth all the other the other drama that comes with I, it. I, I really liked what Griff said about the Cavs thrive on chaos. And it, oh, I, I kind of feel like that. And part of me thinks maybe Griff's stirring the pot a little here. Maybe he's lowering expectations <laughs> just to get them to rise above them. But well, I think I think he definitely um, he seems like the kind of guy that feels pretty comfortable in his position. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's had some stern conversations with the team. I mean, there was that whole thing where. Yeah. He had a pretty serious heart-to-heart with Kevin Love last year. I wouldn't be surprised if there's been more of that. Because, I mean, Dan Gilbert, I mean, God, paying that that salary this year and sitting there watching that beatdown against the Warriors, I mean, I don't know what the heck must have been going through his mind watching that happen. I mean, I know yeah. it was going through my mind. One, it ain't happening this year. And two, can this championship window coincide with the Warriors? I mean, that's just, I cannot get that thought out of my head. So, yeah. I think this, uh, this move was, I think everyone's kind of realizing that. But it seems kind of crazy, right? I mean, how can this Cavs team not have a ceiling that high? With the well, talent they have. But the other part of it to me is 
are you just is this just a lateral move like does it even matter like unless and, and to me that's the the billion dollar question um is lebron going to be a team player or is he going to go iso for 20 seconds of the shot clock if this is a clutch sports move does is it lebron feel like he wants tough love i i don't get that sense but maybe he just felt like david blatt does some really stupid things like the whole not being able to run a, an out of bounds play and stuff like that I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much of this is LeBron and how much of it isn't. But I mean, to me, the million dollar question is: LeBron buy in or not? Corey, what do you think? Is LeBron buying in, or is the team got to play on LeBron's rules now? I think since he signed, it's by LeBron's rules. And uh, you know, I'm. I mean, I'm trying. Like the the whole clutch thing. I mean, it makes sense. He wanted Mark Jackson, which that would. Yeah, that would have worked. Um, you know, like with Lou, at least it's an in-house that, that guy who's slash, been around. That was a slash S for sarcasm, right? Yeah. Like it's just, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's the complicated relationship that we as fans have with LeBron that other people don't understand. Like, you know, I, even like this year I was, I was all gung ho on LeBron. I was like, I love the way his demeanor was, how he supported Blatt. But even like, you know, you talk about these out of, you know, there's these out of bounds plays. It's like, well, if they throw a game, like, it, you know, are we sure that's Blatt's out of bounds play? Or is that what LeBron dictated? Or is that, you know, like, there's just so much mystery involved in the whole thing. And I don't think Blatt ever got to be himself. And, you know, even if there was a star system, you know, was that his decision or was that like the terms that were kind of dictated to him? Because this is not the we have not seen the David Blatt with the Cavs that coached in you know in in Israel in Russia you know like, those are very different you know coaches if you look at the two of them like so I think it's it's on LeBron's terms so and, and LeBron holds all the leverage over oh the whole that's why he came back that's why he came back because he'd never have it in Miami and he knew it well like. That's a topic for another day. But, you know, when LeBron took the two weeks off just out of nowhere, you know, I heard the team was shocked by that. So maybe that was like him sending a message across the bow that he wasn't happy and that the team needed to, I don't know, experience pain without him or I don't, I don't know what it was. But certainly we know what happened after that. We know, you know, David Griffin in his Q and a thing today where I kind of got tired of watching was when he got really, really defensive about the questions is LeBron. They weren't even really charged questions. It wasn't like, was this LeBron's decision? It was really beating around the bush. Kind of like, did you talk to LeBron about this? You know, and he just, let me make one thing clear. And, and you know, I know you media, yada, yada, yada. LeBron doesn't run this organization, right? While millions of people around the world and on Twitter are rolling their eyes like, oh, right, you know? And the reality is, you know, you can you can act tough now, Griffin, and we didn't consult LeBron. He found out about it just when everyone else did. And he had nothing to do with this. And every beat writer right now is in lockstep unison protecting LeBron. And maybe it's just because it's true and they know that no one will believe it. And so much like the NBA Almost lottery. Did you read the watch bomb? 
how no, but let me finish that. my thoughts. Let me finish okay, my thoughts. no, it is like we have to shift gears to this. Is this is like this is Wadge dropping the mic? How insane it is! So you've got to finish, and then we got to talk about this Wadge bomb. No, I'm just saying everyone is in unison, actually going out of their way to say LeBron had nothing to do with this firing. So okay, you can say all that, but you've also oh. gone on record. You've also gone on record saying that yeah. We had reservations about J.R. Smith, and LeBron said, bring him here and I'll handle it. And so we made the move, right? Like We've heard that story a hundred times. So what's different? So last year, you didn't make free agent moves unless LeBron signed off on it. But this year, LeBron doesn't run this team. You know, it's like, I mean, who's going to really believe that? So, I mean, the bottom line is every single guy from Griffin on down is pretty much expendable. The only guy that has a has a true no trade clause and really would never be traded anyway is LeBron James. Yeah, there's only two guys, LeBron James and Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert, yeah. So the watch bomb, insane. Uh, he, here's the opening paragraph. Before David Blatt ever conducted his first training camp in September of 2014, Cleveland Cavaliers starred LeBron James and his agent, Rich Paul, had the coach's succession plan in place, Mark Jackson. And then he goes on to talk about how Mark Jackson had agreed to sign with Clutch and deliver and have them be his representation. Um, and from the beginning, the Clutch Sports campaign to puncture Blatt standing as head coach had been re- as relentless as it was ruthless. James is one of the great leaders in pro sports, and he directed the Cavaliers how he wanted them, in complete defiance of Blatt. Finally, James's camp had its way on Friday. The coach is firing the defending Eastern Conference championship and runaway number one seed over a season and a half on the job. Associate head coach Ty Lue fought hard to stay loyal to Blatt, balancing that line, um, yet still urging uh, the players to give the coach a chance. In the end, here was a problem for Clutch Sports' original plan. Cleveland refused to hire Jackson. Griffin's too well-connected in the NBA, too knowledgeable of the truths inside the Warriors' regime to let that happen. So much of Griffin's job has been to manage the constant demands of James's camp and the volatility of owner Dan Gilbert. As much as anything, his job has been to bridge the chaos above and below him. Once James's camp realized Jackson would never be considered his coach, nor would Lou leave his representation to join Clutch Sports, Lou became a compromised choice for James's group, sources said. They pushed they started pushing for Lou to replace Blatt last season and grew louder for those calls in recent days and weeks. Uh, Lou was you know, if you were going to read that whole thing, you could have done it in a way more dramatic voice. I thought I did. I thought I was no, like, I no. thought I was like, Corey, are you even awake? Did he just put you I to sleep? I thought I was like Morgan Freeman. Uh, I'm, reading I'm actually the reading the article right now. Yeah. No, it's insane. Like the whole thing in complete defiance of um, David Blatt. It just bothered my night. So here, here's towards the end. What's coming now? The trickle of stories on Blatt. Well, wait, why don't you recap what you just read in case no. some of the listeners tuned you out? So the bottom line, Clutch Sports had this agreement with Mark Jackson, and when it when the Cavs refused to do it because Griffin knows Jackson is not a good coach or has too much baggage or whatever, they settled on Lou. Now they got what they wanted. So what's n- coming next? Next up on Cavs the Drama. 
You can finish now, Nate. Okay, so here's what's coming now. The trickle of stories on Blatt's incompetence. The fact that no one respected him, and maybe most of all, that James had nothing to do with his firing. For all the fairy tales sold on James's return to Cleveland, this was forever about business, the kind of business they couldn't do within Riley's organization, nor Eric Spolster's locker room. Boom, boom. Okay. Oh, wow, that sounds just like what you said, Corey. <laughs> yeah, that that it seriously sounds exactly. That's like I'm. I just finished the article, and it's like exactly right. Right. You know where I where I was, which I know I'm not the only one who's thought that like LeBron wants it on his terms, and he right. wants you know all this you know crap with him with the you know you know I oh, I got to do it for the land or whatever you know or uh, yeah, you know the commercials are so ridiculous. that's it's just ridiculous it's just as ridiculous as the Sherman Williams poster or whatever across the street from the queue you know it's it's not, not about Cleveland it's not about you know bringing a title it's about LeBron doing it on his own terms to feed his own ego and the line in uh, train wreck where, you know, it's like, oh, is, do you, do you see his face in the clouds? Is that, you know, is he your Cleveland? It's like, it makes me sick because it's, it's just all about himself. Yeah. It's all about the, the letter was just to wash his hands of the blood that, you know, he created. <laughs> oh man. And this, this is just Whoa. him. You know, it's like Perfect LeBron didn't have reach. He didn't even have to walk in and eat from the hot cake. <laughs> no, but he he didn't even have to walk into the office because it's like this was you know this was dictated a while ago. Like that's right. the that was like a weird fulcrum we were at. Like they couldn't have fired Blatt after the finals, right? You know, no, when they the turned crazy. into a defensive monster. Like yeah. the crazy right. thing to me is that Dan Gilbert quote from a few years ago: "We will never let one." player hold our organization hostage again and oh he did like, it in a heart yeah like, he did it in a heartbeat <laughs> yeah it's so crazy well he's a businessman too he is. and you know what i like dan gilbert i think he's the perfect owner for the Cavs. but the Cavs are valued at one and one point something billion now and when he bought them it was like what did he buy them for like 350 million yeah so you know however However, LeBron holds Dan Gilbert um, hostage or whatever. Dan Gilbert's still worth yeah. a lot more money than LeBron James will probably ever be worth, which is kind of strange to think. I don't about. think that's true. I think LeBron. I a hundred percent think that's true. Yeah, I mean, well, he's I think worth... LeBron James is going to be worth billions someday, but why, not as much. Why would he be worth? Why would he be worth more than Michael Jordan? I think he will be worth more than Michael Jordan someday. You think he's more than Jordan, but not than more Michael Gilbert. Jordan or Tiger yeah. Woods in his prime? I don't think so. Oh, I didn't. Um, yeah. Well, here's what's going to happen. When the players' union... I mean, you know uh, there's only like a couple... When the players' union disbands so, and they become a trade organization and there is no salary cap anymore, LeBron James will make $150 million a year. As what? As a coach? Because he'll be 45. As a player and a coach. Who cares? <laughs> no, that's coming in two years, Tom. 2007. After. We'll see. Oh, I think so. We'll see. Anyway, Corey, woo, man, you know what? I'm glad you said all that because I like to believe that when LeBron wrote that letter, he was somewhat sincere. And even if you want to take the, uh, you know, the get off my lawn, you know, like, you know, old man approach that 
you know, this is just all cynicism and it's business and LeBron doesn't care about Cleveland. I think from a business standpoint, it makes LeBron, sense for him to LeBron, care about Cleveland. He, well, he needs to deliver a championship to Cleveland. I mean, he really needs to for his legacy to be complete. So my million dollar question, because Nate's already thrown one out, is uh, will LeBron ever come to the realization that he is not infallible and that he has bad habits and bad tendencies? He's not the smartest player in the league. He's not the best GM in the league or player coach in the league. And that, you know, you look over at a guy like Tim Duncan that he claims to respect and that part of the reason Tim Duncan has been able to play so long and I think he's like the NBA's all-time leader in wins now um, is because he's allowed himself to be coached and he allows Pop to chew him out even now, you know. Um, And I think that's healthy to have someone that will keep you accountable. So maybe Ty Lue is a better player's coach and there's an uptick in morale, and they start having more fun. Or whatever. And maybe that happens. But here's my question. When they get into a tough playoff series, is LeBron going to revert back to his style of play because he stops trusting whatever good habits Tyron Lue might try to implement over the next couple months? Um, because I just don't think LeBron has it in him to accept – criticism and to be disciplined enough to you know to decide he maybe his way isn't the best way you know what i mean um i mean i just get the sense that lebron always thinks that he knows what's right like you see it all the time like he'll he'll blow a defensive assignment and then he'll like yell at someone else it's like that couldn't have been my fault you know and then he'll say some crap and he'll say some crap in the presser about oh it starts with me i'm the leader and it's like yeah, but do you really believe that? Because for basically your entire career, you've had a broken jumper, and every time you face a good defense, they figure out how to stop you. And so there's a million different uh, solutions for that. One of them is just play more off the ball because you're a devastating finisher. But, you know, he just doesn't really do it. And when, when the going gets tough, he reverts to, just throw me the ball. I will calm everything down. I will back down my guy. I will either make a shot or kick out to the open shooter. It's like he goes back to the way he played in high school, and he just thinks, like, it has to work because I'm LeBron James. This is how I've always played. You know? It, it just – I just don't see that much growth in LeBron. I mean, he's playing a lot better this year than last year, and he's added a lot of things to his arsenal that I'm – Really happy in about. some ways, but his re- his jumper in the regular season is not nearly as good as it was last year. He, right. His jumper didn't completely fall apart till the playoffs last year. But it's like he, you know, early on he he they abandoned the Princeton offense, right? So yeah. if, if Ty Lue comes in and goes, you know what, guys, I've talked to the analytics guys. I've been around all these great players. We really need to run the triangle, or we need to run the Princeton offense, or we need to run these basic sets that put. Kyrie and Kevin Love and LeBron in these positions, you know, more often than not. And they start practicing that. And maybe they even do that on some random Wednesday night. But when they get in a big game on a big stage and the stakes are high, are they going to continue to execute that? Because the Spurs will will do that. The Spurs could be down 30, 
to the Warriors on Monday when they play, and they will continue to run their offense the way they do it. It's 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 in their DNA at this point. They're dedicated to it. I, I described them today on the radio, or maybe it was yesterday. They're like the Mariano Rivera of basketball teams. They're disciplined. They're good. They It's pretty simple what they do, but you can't hit it because it's so uh, pinpoint, precise, flawless execution. And he just keeps throwing it, and you just keep missing it or, or barely following it off. So one thing that's been interesting, um, and, and along with that, so I kept hearing today that basically the Cavs just run all the Doc Rivers sets that came through Ty Lue uh, from, from Doc Rivers. And I thought that was really interesting because when you saw the pregame when uh, – Oh, who's the center for the Clippers? DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan was talking to David Blatt. David Blatt said, yeah, I hear you clearing my plays and then telling your team what we're going to run, so I'm not going to call out any plays tonight. We're going to call them yeah. the huddle. And yeah, it's like, I saw that. He was mic'd up. It's really yeah. true, and it's really true that he knows us because those are all Doc Rivers sets. That doesn't bode well for A, Blatt, B, the team, or C, Ty Lue, that everybody knows their plays. But it's like, <laughs> you know, the Spurs are so great because they run one set with five options off it. Yeah, right. Or five variations where I don't – not nearly as many teams are smart enough to do that. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to bring up is uh, what I thought was one of our comments – and and if you haven't gone on the comment board and check out what a lot of our readers have said at, uh, on the post on the presser, we've got to have the greatest readers in on the internet. I mean, the amount phenomenal, of phenomenal uh, opinions and intelligent insight. It, it's just it blows me away how lucky we are to have the uh, the audience that we do. So you dog underdog said. I knew that Blatt would one day be gone the moment I saw LeBron push him away the night uh, and the night LeBron threw the ball at him. We hear talk about players not liking Blatt. The reason the mood on this team is sour is that the players don't like the way LeBron is running the show and Blatt couldn't do anything about it. It's not that the players don't like Blatt. It's that they don't like LeBron. How else in the world could a locker room environment be sour on a 30 and 11 team? When the coach defends him publicly at every turn, nobody can challenge LeBron. Not Blatt, not Love, not anybody. He was set up for failure. That, I thought, was just brilliant. Like, what do you think, Tom, the rest of the team thinks of LeBron? Do you think it's just they're falling in lockstep? Or, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you because that was a way more exciting read. From someone well, else's you. work. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, clearly Kevin Love, you know, made those comments the other night about it starts with our leader over there. I think he's frustrated. Um, yeah, I've always – I've never been impressed with Kyrie Irving's approach to the game or his – I've always thought he's mentally fragile. Um, you know, we had that, we had Robert interviewed yeah, Windhorse. Yeah, I mean, we cost who, him a playoff spot one year. Yeah, Robert <laughs> interviewed Windhorse that one time on a park bench in, in Central Park or something. And, you know, he basically called out Kyrie for being mentally fragile. And Kyrie responded 
by going on Twitter and Instagram and basically whining about the media, which is kind of like, dude, they, they basically you, just, you, just you basically just their proved point. their point. Yeah. Um, now nah, he's a young, he's a young guy. I mean, so I don't want to be too hard on him, but I certainly don't get the sense that, you know, he's wise enough or has the right uh, personality to to tell LeBron to no, you know, go stand in the corner and come up and set a pick for me or something like that. Um, you know, I, I will say about LeBron this year is I feel like way more than last year he has trusted Delhi and and Mo and I guess now Kyrie to run the offense. Uh, he didn't really do that last year, so especially with Delhi, I feel like if there's a guy that I would think LeBron wouldn't have any respect for as a point guard, it would be Delhi. And yet I feel like when they share the court together, he does a good job of, um, you know, of letting him handle the, handle the, the initial setup of the play. But I mean, I think underdog makes a great point that, you know, where without, if, I mean, if there's no one above LeBron, to put LeBron in his place. And LeBron's not like a 23-year-old anymore, you know? So he is the veteran on the team. I mean, I know you got guys like James Jones and stuff like that. but Yeah, yeah, but James Jones is basically LeBron's familiar at this stage, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it might have been a little bit different the first time around in Cleveland when you had guys like, you know, guys like Z. And, I mean, you, you ben brought Wallace. in Ben Wallace. You brought in Shaq. I mean, you had Wally Zerbiak. I mean, you had guys that were significantly older. <laughs> I love that you said LeBron. Wally Zerbiak. Well, I mean, he was <laughs> like, just like, okay. Was, do you really think everybody was like, that we're really down right now? And Wally <laughs> Zerbiak came from rousing halftime speech during the game. <laughs> Come no. on. <laughs> that was a bad. I just, yeah. But this was funny. Some random person today tweeted, that now that Blatt was fired, the Cavs should promote Damon Jones within the coaching ranks. And Damon Jones retweeted that tweet, <laughs> which I thought was just perfect. We Damon will Jones. know that happened when Delhi comes out with the leg kick dribble. Yes. Well, and so then, so then my thought was, oh yeah, I'm sure LeBron has just is just overflowing with respect for Damon Jones. And I, do you remember that dunk, LeBron? Put on Damon oh, Jones. the greatest dunk ever. The greatest dunk in history, yeah. So, I don't know how much respect. That's a top five dunk all time. It, it is. And at the time, people pointed that out. I think Charles Barkley said that's a top five dunk all time yeah. when he saw it. I think it was top a top five in-game dunk for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I. it feels like it has to come from within LeBron. That's why that was my million-dollar question. It feels like he has to recognize that I don't have all the answers and if if a guy that's you know watching film you know I'm sure he doesn't trust the analytics department I'm sure he doesn't he didn't trust David Blatt he probably doesn't trust Ty Lue as much as he trusts players trust any of those guys right and that, that's why I'm saying I feel I mean, like it Mo has Williams to doesn't trust that he shouldn't be jacking up pull up jump shots five possessions in a row right you know that that's what always boggles my mind about NBA players. They some of them think they're smarter than everyone else. Yeah, and it's the same thing with like uh, NFL football coaches. They're like, well, you should always go for it on fourth and less than seven between the thirty fives. Like any mathematician will tell you that, and no one does it. You know, it's like people don't believe in science, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so Corey, did would you have anything you wanted to add on the the point about do the players? Do you think this is just as much about the how the players feel about LeBron? Yeah, like I mean, just I mean across the board, you know, the the dynamic of the franchise changed so rapidly from. You know, for no end in sight, just rebuild, which is, you know, kind of, you know, Blatt was brought in for to build a young team to fast forward to its title or bust, which is what it became. And, you know, you got Love, who I'm, I, I don't doubt that he's probably happier than he was in Minnesota, but, you know, he just signed on long term to be here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he's got to be frustrated like and that's like when it's like how you're you know so many like national people blame black for not using love right it's like well you can't have it on both sides it can't be you know lebron runs the entire team but it's black that's doing this wrong or you know can't get love david black could use how, a stretch how can, four how can kevin love not get the ball in the high post that's what boggles my mind never it, it never happens never like and it's just, you know, it's like it, LeBron, it's perfect for LeBron because, I mean, you know, people are just going to say Black, you know, didn't use love right and all this. I mean, how many, there was like a Twitter meltdown on Kevin Love, like trade proposals and stuff after the Warriors game. Which, that, yeah, and then and, he has his best two games, like probably right, and, and, this and, season. And I've like, you know, Kevin Love has definitely had some defensive lowlights this season. Yeah. You know, you also had LeBron James setting a pick on Delhi in preseason mm-hmm. last year. It was like, come on. These things, people make mistakes. You want to pick out one highlight. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, Kevin Love has not played great defense every game or, even, you know, or every possession. But you can't pick out one or two plays and say that that, that is – indicative of everything that he's doing the the other side of that being you're not getting him the ball in the spots that he's best at in the nba and then you're whining about how he's not as productive i i I actually think kevin love has played he's done everything the Cavs have asked him to do and help them win at every position and yet he keeps getting abused for it you know or at, at every opportunity, not every position, but so my my kind of my final question, Tom, what do you think this means for the players and the product that we're going to see on the court going forward? Are we going to see the veterans play more? Are we going to see some different sets, or is it just going to be a refinement of what we've already seen this season? Yeah, so I will give you my two extremes. I'll give you my happy. Care Bear extreme, and I will give you my eternal Cleveland pessimist extreme. So the, the Care Bear one is that, yes, um, the, there's a, more minutes are given to Verjao and Richard Jefferson and Mo Williams and James Jones. Ugh, no, um, Williams. The, the Cavs, uh, they form an identity at both ends of the court. They develop better team chemistry. They they make a concerted effort to maximize what Kevin Love brings to the table. You know, we, we talk about the Warriors so much, and a lot of what makes them elite is that Draymond Green is such a unique player. 
Kevin Love is a very unique player. There aren't that many people at his position that can do what he does. It's such he a multi things that no one else in the league can do. There's well, no one else could, in the league that can grab a defensive rebound and fire a full court chest pass. Well, I will say I will take what you said and, and slightly modify it. There, there's no one else in the league that has his combination of offensive skill sets uh, combined com, combined with that size and elite defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, so you know this is something Windhorse has been harping on for weeks. It's like they gotta figure out how to make other teams break under the weight of what Kevin Love can do offensively because they have it in big games. And uh, that's going to be the key to whether they or not they can raise their ceiling to that elite level. So, yeah, the happy version is morale immediately increases. These guys are all laughing and taking pictures before the game, um, you know, with all their crazy poses. The, the bench veterans, you know, per, pucker up a little bit. Um you know, LeBron makes a very, you know, LeBron gets back to being, you know, good, good mind LeBron because he's just happy about Ty, Ty Lue and, you know, everything is, is rosy. Here's what I'm really worried about. We all remember what David Blatt did when the seat got really hot. He shrunk his rotation. He played to win every single regular season game. And I'm not saying that led to injuries, but there were a lot of guys that had nagging ailments going into the playoffs. So, and, and then there was the whole like deli exhaustion game. Now that was kind of out of his hands, but I think we can all agree that shrinking your rotation to win regular season games is really not where the Cavs should be doing right now. So, I mean, the the fire is as intense as it's going to be. The Cavs send out a message today that no one is safe. 30 and 11 is not safe. We will fire our tenured coach with a 30 and 11 record because it we are in win now mode. So my fear is that they start, you know, making trades from a position of weakness because they're panicking a little bit or that Ty Lue starts trying to win every single regular season game, you know, to vindicate that like he's the right guy for the job and he's moving him in the right direction and they don't have the patience to just, you know, holistically form an identity. That's my biggest fear right now going forward, other than, you know, fluke injuries. Or or to play a consistent rotation. And I have to think that from the player's standpoint, Blatt's, and I've heard this as much, Blatt's lack of consistent rotation and guys never knowing when they're playing or not, you know, Mo Williams and Richard Jefferson weren't even told they weren't going to play against the Warriors. It just happened. That annoys players. Um, and the lack of a consistent rotation had to be really irritating for the players. But on the converse side of that, Blatt was trying to do whatever he could to win games and it kind of spoke to what you complained about was the Cavs didn't have a system. They weren't developing a bench. They weren't developing. And, you know, the bench units and the starter units didn't have identities. Um, so I, I don't know what we're going to get with, with Ty Lue. What about you, Corey? What, what do you think this means for the players? I mean, for the players, uh, you know, like part of one of those articles, I'm not really sure offhand because it's just been a barrage of like reading and listening. Um, 
that Lou was the the compromise for Clutch. That they didn't get Mark Jackson. They wanted Black gone. And, you know, LeBron's behavior towards Black trickled down to the rest of the team, where they disrespected him, where they ignored him, where, you know. So if this at least gets LeBron back into, I don't know, let's try to win the title. Or, you know, let's, 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 you know, all those things about the Warriors, the Spurs, Tim Duncan, you know, the buy in, Draymond Green, who we all hate, but in a weird way, like, don't you wish LeBron was a little more like him? And no, the fact that he, was he, he like would it. do he yeah. would do anything for them to win, and he yeah. wouldn't. I, I've, like, I have a visceral hatred for Draymond Green, but when I stop and think about it, if he was on the Cavs, he would be my, love my favorite player like of all time. Well, yeah. The insane he, thing is, is yeah. there's nothing Draymond Green does that LeBron can't do. No, that's, from that's from true a as well. Standpoint. That's true as well. You're and, right. and as far as Kyrie goes and Curry, if the, if you had to pick a player that's closest to Curry's skill set in the league, it would be Kyrie. And it's, you know, you look at all these things and what they could have done, and that's the part where I feel like most just upset over the Blatt thing, is that if they would have bought in, if LeBron would have bought, bought in, didn't ruin the locker room, they could be doing that. And there's no reason they can't. And I mean, I think if if LeBron buys in and, you know, the, it trickles down to the rest of the locker room, this could be a good thing. You know, Avery Johnson had a 735 winning record when he was fired. By? By Mark Cuban. Okay. Because he's been fired several times. <laughs> yeah. W- yeah. Which time was he? Fi- yeah. Before the Nets thing. But, you know, yeah. when he was the coach of the Mavs, I believe I could be wrong. I want to say he had the highest winning percentage, you know, was minimum certain minimum of the games in like league history. Yeah. But they, and they he was fi- that first yeah. round matchup. Yep. And he got fired. And you know what? They went on to win the title. Yeah. And it, the, this is a fulcrum point in the Cavs story. And there's a lot of them if they win a title or if they don't that this is one of the things that we will be dissecting someday either way yeah. on, you know, and it'd also be where black goes next. There's already rumors that, you know, he's, the, he's got the inside job for the Grizzlies gig next year or whatever. My favorite like, is the Lakers to get the yeah. straight. Uh, well, the one that would be the worst is if he became an assistant on the, uh, Warriors. On, the on the Warriors because Luke Walton <laughs> would take a, a head coaching job. So, um, so that leads me to my next question. Nate, we got to wrap this up. Okay, man. no, this is quick. Uh, this is a yes or no question. Um, if the Cavs don't win a championship next year, is A, Ty Lue back next year, and is B, David Griffin back next year? No and no. <laughs> wow. Tom. Tom, put down the candy bar. Uh... I will say no and e- no. Wow. So my, my thought is if the Cavs don't win a title this year, that Luke Walton will be the coach of the Cavs next year. See, I think uh, it'll be, I think Dan Gilbert will like double his offer to John Calipari. I think make John, it like, no, here's what I think. He'll make happen. it like 160 million. <laughs> no, I think John Calipari will come in and be the GM and ah, okay. Luke Walton will be the coach. <laughs> I, yeah. could, I could very much see that happening. 
Whatever happens, it'll be dramatic. Or how about Mike Krzyzewski, GM, Ooh, Luke Walton, yeah. head coach? Yeah, I could see something like that. You know. Um, so my, my last hope, and, and, you know, I skipped ahead my old question. Uh, the one thing I'm desperately pray, play, praying for is that this doesn't mean more Mo Williams and less Matthew Dellavedova. Because yeah, I, like I already it. got a I already got a tweet from a deli my my friend who's a deli hater saying deli's not going to play anymore and I'm like dude you're crazy well then the cats aren't going to win get... anymore because yeah. Mo that's, Williams <laughs> cannot guard that's my crazy. grandma that's crazy talk and Ty Lu knows that that's crazy yeah, talk I, I don't think there's any yeah I I would be honestly would not be surprised if to see Mo Williams get dumped from this team before the end of the season. I wouldn't either if he's going to be thinking he's entitled to minutes because this is a loaded team. Yeah, that and he has not distinguished himself other than, you know, very early in the season. Very mediocre defense. Had some good games. Yeah, very bad defense. So that has been a special emergency podcast version of Cavs of Blog. And uh, thank you guys for sticking around and, and supporting us. And lots of big changes coming to Cavs of Blog soon, and no one's going to get fired the way Black got fired. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you're, but we do Corey, you're, Corey, you're safe, man. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we can. We're kind of letting this news out in little little bits of little trickles here and there, but um, yeah, I, I bought Cavs the Blog. I, when I say I bought it, I bought the URL from John Krolik. And Nate and Evil Genius and Robert and I are going to share the costs of the site. We're going to be for what are we going to call ourselves, Nate? We're the, the quad umber it. Are we the the quad umber? We're like like the four horsemen of no, the. No, I like the quad umber it. Okay, we're going to be the quad umber it. Nate right now is in the middle of handling all our IT needs, and um, we're keeping all the writers we have right now. Everyone's doing a great job. We're really excited where we can take this site and uh, there'll be more to come, but yeah. And, and just a thank you to everybody that supports us. You guys really are the best audience in, in the entire internet in, in the universe. There's if there's a, if there's an internet on Vega, you guys are better than that internet. So I've never seen <laughs> a comment board on any website that was as vibrant, vibrant, but also civil. Right. Yeah. Like if, if those are like your three points of your triangle, I feel like you can only ever get two. You can't yeah. get all three, but we have all three. Yeah. We, like we, we broke the laws of Internet. Like comment Tex physics. Winner designed this. this yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. He this did. audience. So. so thank you, everybody. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. 
And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.